Oh, hello, I am back. The reason that it took me so long to put out another episode is because my computer broke. And I think I may have said this on the last episode, my computer was like actively breaking down before my eyes. And I knew it, and I knew I had to take it in to get fixed and probably to send away to get it fixed because I thought it was hardware stuff, which it was. Um, And so I recorded a podcast episode and literally like five minutes after I pressed publish on that episode, like it wouldn't even let me type anymore. So I had like two weeks of not having a computer, which was just wonderful timing because as you may know, I am gearing up for the launch day of my second book, Tired as Fuck, which is coming out February 8th, which is now 10 days away, which is crazy. And it was after the holidays, you know, early January, time to <laughs> time to work and get things ready and start doing all of these interviews and video interviews and podcast interviews. And my computer broke. So it was just wonderful timing. I, I bought a... I was like, what, you know, when, when people's car breaks, they can get a rental car while they're getting it fixed because you need a car. If you're, if you live a life where you need a car, you can't just not have a car when you're getting your car fixed. Why doesn't that exist for computers? It's the same thing. People need computers to, to work these days. But, uh, and then apparently there are like computer rental, like, I don't know. I wanted a Mac, obviously. I wanted, you know, how you can like rent a car that's nicer than your own. Well, anyway, so that didn't work out. But what I did do, somebody recommended that I just buy a Chromebook, which is like $200, just just to do the most basic things in the in the meanwhile. And so I did. um, And man, Man, I'm spoiled with my Mac. That was just not fun using the Chromebook, I'll tell you that. But it did get the job done. And now uh, I have one more thing to just add to my closet. And uh, I'll probably find it in three years and be like, oh, God, what do I do with this? All right. So w- what what is this episode going to be about today? Well, this is my plan. Okay. One of the things that I'm going to be playing for you, and it's about 10 minutes long, is a chapter. It's actually the first chapter from Tired as Fuck, the audiobook. So I'm going to be playing the official audiobook chapter for you, the first chapter. But it's actually the first chapter that comes after the intro. And I kind of consider the intro to actually be the first chapter because I don't think, you know how some books you don't need to read the intro? It's like, this is why I wrote this book. And you're like, I don't need to know why you wrote the book. I just want to read the book. Well, I kind of feel like the intro for the for Tired as Fuck, I almost called it the fuck a diet, for Tired as Fuck is like actually just the first chapter. But since it comes first, they are calling it the intro. So I don't know. But if you have not yet, you can go to thefuckadiet.com slash tired and sign up to read that intro for free. And I really, 
um, I think that if you have any interest or any desire or any curiosity around the book, don't really understand what it's about, it really sets it up well and explains what the book is about. And you'll hopefully get a good sense if, if you want to actually read the book. Now, this this audio chapter that I'm going to play for you is um, it doesn't explain what the book is going to be about as much because it's kind of just like launching into the first part of my story but anyway I'm going to play it for you but I do need to tell you and maybe I did have this uh, nightmare last night because I knew I was going to be posting it but I had a dream last night that I was listening to the audiobook of Tired as Fuck for the first time and I was horrified I was like this is really really bad like I cannot believe I did such a terrible job reading this this sounds I sound bored I'm like rushing through it. I'm mumbling. It's just awful. What am I going to do? Like I was thinking I need to call my publisher and tell them that there's no way they can use this. Well, anyway, so it was a dream. Thank God. But I did kind of like wake up this morning being like, why do I feel like something is very wrong? And then I had to remember the dream and then realize that the dream was just a dream. Now, maybe I feel that way because I got the audio book chapter to put on my podcast it's like something that my publisher wanted me to do and I feel like you know why not but I refuse to listen to it <laughs> because I don't want to give myself a chance to be annoyed with the way that I read things um, which is probably why I had the dream that I was like actually forced to listen to it and like oh god this is so bad but anyway so I'm not going to listen to it I'm going to play it for you I'm only going to listen to the beginning so I can level out the volume and I'm going to skip to the end of it so I don't have to listen which I guess you could do too okay so I'm going to play that for you now and then afterwards, I'm actually going to expand upon something that I just put on Instagram, which was answering a question that someone asked, um, where they asked me if after I healed my relationship with food, did I find that I transferred my anxiety that I had around food to a different area of my life? And it's a really good question. And the answer um, is a little bit more complicated than where it has a lot of there are, there are different pieces that I need to explain in order to um, fully answer that question. And so I'm going to do that after I play for you this clip from Tired as Fuck. Enjoy. I hope it's better than what I heard in my dream. Last night in bed, I googled, do sociopaths like dogs? And I lay there reading the responses from self-identified sociopaths and psychopaths on Quora until after midnight. So I'm very tired today and angry with myself, but I learned a lot. I learned that yes, sociopaths like owning dogs because dogs are obedient and trusting and easily manipulated, which is upsetting because I was hoping that a dog could become my man filter so I don't accidentally end up marrying a murderer one day. I learned a lot last night, actually. I learned the difference between sociopaths and psychopaths. It's mostly a nature versus nurture thing, at least according to what I read last night. I am in no way a psychopath expert. Apparently, sociopaths are made and psychopaths are born. Psychopaths are literally born with a different brain, 
a smaller amygdala, and do not feel anxiety or fear. What? No anxiety or fear? They don't have the capacity to feel fear like most other humans. And they have no conscience, no little voice telling them that what they're doing is wrong. Obviously, that can create major problems, like serial killers and cult leaders and diabolical CEOs. But before thinking about the problems, I tried to imagine what it would feel like to not feel fear or anxiety. And I felt immediately jealous. Can you imagine how freeing that would be? To walk around life like you're in a video game? To feel like a god among stupid humans? No doubt? No constant self-nagging and self-worry? No incessant voice in your head telling you you're doing life wrong? Wow. Not fair. After a minute of imagining the fantasy freedom of psychopathy, I decided that even if I had a choice, no, I would not choose psychopathy. Psychopathy is not the answer to our exhaustion. I mean, maybe it actually is, but I know that we'd just be trading one problem for another bigger problem. But no anxiety? I'd sleep like a baby. I mean, I'd sleep like a psychopath. I didn't actually realize how much anxiety I had until a few years ago. I know, that seems like a hard thing to miss. But for so long, I really thought that this was just what life was. Dread all the time. I thought that my constant feelings of dread were happening because I had things that I needed to fix and figure out and conquer. And that once I finally fixed and figured out and conquered them, all my feelings of general dread would go away. I didn't identify it as anxiety. I thought it was just the reality of having a million things about myself that I needed to improve. And I thought that once I improved, I wouldn't feel so scared and miserable anymore. In a way, it's how so many of us are primed to think, hoping that the next product we buy or the next program we complete is going to finally fix our brokenness and make us peaceful and content. I've now realized that some anxiety is normal and the result of being a non-psychopath human with a normal nervous system and a normal-sized amygdala. Some anxiety is chemical and genetic. Some is the result of unresolved trauma and the body being stuck in a fight, flight, or freeze state. And some is from learned beliefs. My internal thermostat is always set to the mildly anxious setting. And sometimes it breaks and overheats into the very anxious setting. And I need to open the windows and let the air in and call the electrician. I'm guessing that for me, at least part of it is genetic, and unfortunately, it's just the way it is. But a lot of my anxiety stemmed from believing that I was constantly supposed to be impressing people. And it started back in 1990, when my parents realized that I had a really good singing voice for a toddler. I don't know what that realization process was like, and I don't know what a good singing toddler sounds like, but as far back as I can remember, I have been told I have an absolutely amazing singing voice. And as far back as I can remember, I have been singing for people and have been very stressed about it. Caroline, you're such a good singer for a three-year-old. 
Will you stand up on this coffee table and sing a little song for all your aunts and uncles? Yes. Do you want me to sing I'm a Little Dutch Girl or How Are Things in Glockamara? I felt a constant need to impress people. And then, once they were impressed, it didn't get easier because then I had to keep people impressed. The constant expectation of performing and impressing people started to stress me out. I did love singing. But even more than that, I learned to love impressing people. And I became very, very stressed about my voice from a very young age. I was very critical of my singing from a young age because I wanted to live up to the hype. I didn't want to let my peeps down. I couldn't let down great Aunt Bernie. She just told everyone in the room how great I am. What happens to a person's brain when they're constantly getting praise for something that stresses them out? This dynamic came to haunt me and will haunt this very book. And it only got worse and worse the more people were part of the hype cycle and the more high stakes the performing venues became. This happens to a lot of us, I think. We're all so caught up being impressive or worth something and holding on to whatever praise we get that we don't often stop to consider whether it's actually worth it. Can't we just live? Can't we just enjoy life's little pleasures without worrying that we're unimpressive? So to any four-year-olds who are reading this book, here is my advice to you. Do not take your singing voice too seriously because your perfectionism might backfire on you with debilitating shakiness and performance anxiety, and the one thing you could have truly loved will come to haunt you and make you cry. And even at 31, when you're singing at your best friend's wedding, instead of joy, you will only feel terror. Instead, maybe just lurk in the background and become okay with simple joys and not being the center of attention. It is more peaceful there. Anxiety is exhausting. It's depleting, it's distracting, and it affects your mind and your body. And if you're not a psychopath, you probably have some anxiety. It's to be expected. The question I think we eventually have to ask ourselves is, how much of our anxiety is inherent and chemical and unavoidable, and how much of it is learned and accidentally perpetuated? I eventually realized that at least a chunk of my anxiety was coming from learned beliefs and cultural pressures I'd taken on. A million little beliefs I never, ever questioned. I just let them run my life in the way I felt. Beliefs like, you should always be trying to manage your weight or else you're irresponsible. You can't trust anything. You have to tightly control everything or it'll all fall apart. You'd better live up to the expectations people had of you in high school. Why? Decluttering a lot of my learned beliefs brought me a lot of peace, and I was finally able to access more calm because I wasn't being ruled by ridiculous things from my subconscious. But I want to be clear that it never cured my anxiety. I still have it. In fact, understanding that there are probably always going to be unavoidable factors that affect our anxiety can help us take some of the pressure off. It's okay to have anxiety. It's okay to get stressed. We're human. Life is scary. In fact, sometimes anxiety is intuition and your body communicating with you, which is another reason it is so important to learn how to feel and trust what's going on in your body. 
but it's also okay to try to manage your anxiety and support your mental health. The expectation that we can and should be completely curing ourselves of anxiety or any other pain with just a little self-help can become toxic in its own way. It's just setting us up to fail and, ironically, probably leading to more anxiety. I am not even kidding you. I just listened to the first 10 seconds and the last three seconds. That's all I could handle. And even the first 10 seconds, I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Why am I sounding so, like, like nasally? And, and yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't my fave. But I still think it's better than the bad dream that I had. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoyed that more than I would have if I had listened to it. But before I move on to the other part of this episode where I expand upon what I just wrote about on Instagram, which is around the way we use our obsession with food and body as a way to micromanage our emotions and whether we will then just refocus that anxiety in another direction. That's what I'm going to be talking about. I first want to, as you know, if you've been listening, you know, over the past, uh, I guess really since I came back from my hiatus over the summer, I have not been doing any ads. And if you've been around for a while, you know that I really only started doing ads maybe last year. And um, I quickly learned that traditional ads were not going to really work for me because most companies that want to advertise on podcasts, not all, but most, especially that want to advertise on smaller podcasts, are diety and supplementy, and just didn't feel aligned at all. Like that, what was it called? Like Magic Spoon Cereal wanted to be a sponsor. And I was like, I actually said no. And then they sent me their cereals anyway. Anyway, so I shifted over to doing ads um, only from like-minded businesses. So coaches and dietitians and programs that were geared toward healing people's relationship with food or anything else that was very aligned with the fuck a diet. So that's, you know, if I'm going to do ads, that's the kind of thing that I want to do unless they're like, you know, completely unrelated. Like if I was going to do ads for bedding, there was a time when I was like, that would be the perfect thing because like, rest like anything that has to do with rest or lying down or making your life easier if it's not going to be specific to anti-diet stuff which also you may know that I'm expanding the the topic of this podcast it's not just going to be about anti-diet stuff so whatever However, all of that to say is I do have an ad for you today, guys. And the ad is for Summer Inanin's Body Neutrality Workshop. Now, if you don't know Summer Inanin, she's wonderful. I've been connected with her almost since I started writing the Fuck It Diet blog. So I feel like I connected with Summer maybe back in like 2014. I started writing the Fuck It Diet in 2012. I definitely connected with her very early on. She Her work is very focused on body image, whereas my work and my writing was more focused on the mentality around diets and food, where I talk a lot about how important shifting your body image is. She actually expands upon body image and focuses mainly on confidence and body image. 
if you hear Molly groaning in the background, that's just what she does while she's napping and moving around. And her little face is honestly pretty close to <laughs> the microphone. I'm going to take a picture of her so I can share it. <laughs> Did you hear that? You're groaning. Okay. So summer in an in's body neutrality workshop this is a free workshop all you have to do is go to bodyneutralityworkshop.com sign up and summer will invite you to the workshop if you sign up before february 1st you will be able to attend the workshop live if you sign up after february 1st you will be getting the replay for the workshop i've tried to record this so many times and molly keeps groaning and barking and scratching me and bothering me so if I don't get through it this time, I'm going to scream. <laughs> All right, let me see if I can. So this is what you're going to learn in the free body neutrality workshop. You're going to learn what it even means to feel body neutral in the first place and the number one mindset shift you need to make in order to get there. You're going to learn some mistakes that are preventing you from truly embodying body neutrality as opposed to just thinking about it intellectually. And you're going to learn Summer's five-part framework for radically changing the way you feel about yourself. So again, just go to bodyneutralityworkshop.com, sign up. The workshop is free and you will enjoy it. You will love Summer just as much as I do. Okay, so someone on Instagram asked me, after you addressed food restriction, did your anxiety shift to other aspects of your life? And I think it's a really good question, but in order to answer, I want to explain. From my perspective, there are three categories of the kind of anxiety we can experience around food and weight. So the first category of anxiety around food and body is anxiety that stems from beliefs about food or weight that have been learned from society, from family, from a magazine you read 10 years ago, whatever. So in this case, restriction around food and micromanaging food is an attempt to mitigate that anxiety or it's this assumption that we have that oh, okay I've learned that I should be looking a certain way or eating a certain amount or the way that I'm eating is wrong and so I'm going to attempt to go on this diet or attempt to micromanage my eating and my weight in order to try and control that anxiety that I now have around food and weight based on what I've learned. So this is the most obvious like this is the when we think about, oh, I need to heal my relationship with food, we think, okay, I need to kind of unpack all of those beliefs that are causing this anxiety around food and heal it. And then, ta-da, I'm going to be happy. But there are two other parts or two other categories that also contribute to um, anxiety around food and weight. So that's just one. The second one is anxiety around food and weight can just be a coping mechanism to try and mitigate other anxiety, other unprocessed emotions, other unprocessed trauma. So we have to play a little thought experiment here because I'm going to be speaking very hypothetically because there, I think it is extremely rare to grow up in our society and not um, accrue <laughs> beliefs anxiety-causing beliefs about food and weight. So that first category that I just mentioned, the actual beliefs that we've learned that cause anxiety around food and weight, that is very difficult to avoid. And I would say that 
almost everyone has a little bit. Even if it's just a tiny bit, there's always something to unlearn. Some of us have a lot of it and it becomes debilitating. That may be why you're listening to this podcast or reading my book in the first place. But hypothetically, if someone were able to completely avoid that and never ever develop any sort of negative belief about food and weight and be completely unbothered with their relationship with food and weight, there could still be other anxiety, other emotions, other unprocessed trauma that is causing physical and emotional discomfort and um, pain, sadness, anger that we do not want to feel. And that is something that we can use anything to try and suppress. So we usually do this unconsciously. Um, And this is a big reason why people will turn to any vice like drugs, alcohol, uh, sex addiction, uh, phone addiction, food addiction, which you know I don't actually believe is the problem. Usually it's diet addiction. And so that would be the case here. So this is the category that will be able to be transferred to another area of your life. So if you do the work to unpack your beliefs around food and weight, even if you do some processing of emotions and trauma around that, there can be more other trauma, other emotions that have not been dealt with yet that are the kind of thing that has us turning to any sort of way to numb or distract or not have to feel. And that is something that can easily be transferred to another area of your life. So that is the part that we want to make sure we also address. And it is why in the Fuck It Diet book, I have the emotional part. It is why I spend so much time in the Fuck It Diet talking about emotions, talking about trauma, talking about coming back into your body, because not only is it important for befriending your body, getting in touch with your intuition, getting in touch with your cravings and your hunger, but it's also an imperative part to actually coming home to your body and processing the things that need to be processed in order to not just have your relationship with food pop up, you know, your anxious relationship with food or your controlling relationship with food pop up in another area of your life. And then I probably put these in the wrong order. This is the order that I put them in on Instagram. I should have left that one to last because that's actually the one that does not inherently get healed by healing your relationship with food and weight. The last category is that there is actual chemical anxiety that stems from restricting food in the first place. So one of the great examples of this is if you if you look at what happened in the Minnesota starvation experiment, another thing I talk about in the Fugga diet, one of the things that the men in that experiment experienced once they were on a diet of 1600 calories a day, which as we know, is not considered that low, though it was enough to completely ravage their minds and bodies, make them obsessed with food, etc. One of the things that they experienced was extreme anxiety, and it was just from physically restricting food. So once you start healing your relationship with food, important to note that it can actually make your feelings of anxiety worse during the refeeding process um 
I, I think, you know, for a lot of people, it actually just, it can make you anxious just because you're doing something scary in the first place. But for these men who were not obsessed with their weight or food going into this experiment, it seemed to be purely chemical. So understanding that hopefully will help you if you do experience more anxiety during the beginning of this process of healing your relationship with food. But um, it will help your anxiety big picture if part of your anxiety is stemming from actually just not eating enough in the first place or not consistently eating enough in the first place and being in a crisis state. Um, And I think for a lot of people who diet, that is a part of their anxiety. So you may find in this wonderful way that once you go through the process, you have less anxiety than you had before. However, you may still have this unprocessed stuff if you do not address it, which is why it's so important to address the other emotions and other trauma that may be underneath what is happening in the first place. There are some people who go through the fuck it diet and they're like, wow, I'm a totally different person. It's been four months. I don't have, my anxiety is gone. This is amazing. And those people probably only had category one and category three to work through, meaning they just had to work through their beliefs around food and weight. They just had to work through um, the actual chemical anxiety that was coming from under eating and boom, they feel a lot better people who go through the fuck it diet and they're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, there's so much here, there's so much here. Um, Though there can be a lot there with the first category of just unlearning the things we've learned about food and weight in the first place. Obviously, there's a lot there, but there can be a lot of other stuff going on for people where um, their relationship with food, their attempts to micromanage food were actually stemming from other trauma in the first place. And so addressing that is so important Otherwise, we will replace our addiction to dieting with something else. And so I guess I didn't even really answer that person's question because they asked me about mine. And, you know, I actually, because I was aware of all this and I was kind of dealing with um, everything, I was trying to heal everything at once. I didn't personally notice that it really popped up in another area of my life. However, what I did notice and what I talk about this a lot in my second book, Tired as Fuck, what I did notice is that a couple years into the fuck it diet, I noticed that I had really healed my beliefs about food and weight, but I still had similar beliefs about what I should be doing in other areas of my life that I also had to heal. And so that is what um, my two years of rest was meant to be addressing. It was meant to be becoming aware of all the other ways I was being an asshole to myself and all the other ways I was putting pressure on myself that was not inherently necessary or helpful or life-affirming at all. Um, So there's always more to learn, guys. There is always more to learn. I have so much more to learn, and I'm sick of it. Okay, Um, that's all for today. This is just a half an hour episode. Um, Goes without saying that if you have not pre-ordered Tired as Fuck and you have any desire to pre-order, 
pre-orders help so much it's coming out in 10 days from when this episode comes out it's coming out february 8th you can go to the fuckitdiet.com slash tired to read the beginning that's you're going to be reading the the chapter the intro that comes before the audio chapter that i played earlier um, in this episode and if you pre-order the book and you want to sign up for my pre-order thank you bonuses you can go to the slash fun and these are just some of the things I'm typing it in right now so I can read so I don't forget anything um, these are just some of the things that you will get as a thank you for oh wow my internet is really bad right now okay All right, you will be invited to the exclusive online book launch when the book comes out. I am doing my Tired as Fuck book launch online. It is just for people who have pre-ordered. I'm going to be in conversation with Whitney Goodman, who just wrote the book Toxic Positivity, which is coming out February 1st. It'll be fun. We're going to answer questions. I'm going to do a reading. And that is happening February 11th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You will get a link to the replay if you cannot attend live. Again, that is only for people who've pre-ordered. Um, you get to read my author commentary on the Fuck It Diet. I already have a couple installments of that out. It's like my thoughts on the entire process of writing it, what I think about the book now, some of the drama that went into the editing process with my publisher, etc., etc. Once the book comes out, I will be sending you chapters that had to be cut from the book for length. Again, this is only for people who've pre-ordered. You'll be able to opt into these two different email lesson series that I created. One is about the fuck a diet. One is about intuition. And this is a new offering. You will get signed book plates, meaning, well, this is only for if you're in North America, which I'm really sorry about, but... If you want a signed book, because everything is remote and I'm not going to be doing in-person signings, at least for now, what I can send you, and you can see this on thefuckitdiet.com slash fun, I can sign a book plate that is a branded sticker that says, Dear Reader, it's time to lie down, tired as fuck, and I sign that, and then you get to put it in your copy of the book. So it's like a workaround for signed books in this remote digital age um and yes okay so that is what you get if you pre-order the book and screenshot your proof of purchase and go to thefuckitdiet.com slash fun and sign up for the pre-order bonuses and submit that proof of purchase you will get all of those bonuses by email and you will get my undying love and gratitude um and other than that Thanks for being patient with this podcast that is very erratic and not coming out uh, regularly, though I do have some fun conversations lined up that I will be releasing probably after the book comes out, which is in less than two weeks. But other than that, I hope you are doing well. I hope that 2022 is treating you at least all right. I'm I'm very low expectations, but um, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.